Good morning, good afternoon, good night. What is the crack? So we're moving into another quick fire five episode today. Been slow enough at recording these the last maybe week or so. Purely down to being back to work, being busy, and the last few days dealing with some sort of allergic reaction to something, which I have no idea what it is yet. So we've had to take the last couple of days off, but not using that as an excuse to not record this podcast. With today's episode, we're going to be taking questions that are kind of similar to each other. I know there's about two or three of them that are kind of similar and that will work or that will serve just to make it a little bit easier to help you understand that a lot of times things are linked together in the sense of like if you're taking from one area, you're, you're giving to another and vice versa. There's a lot of push and pulling going on in terms of example, if you take reps and the amount of weight that you're lifting, if you add more weight to a certain exercise, the chances are you're going to have to lower the reps. And if you lift lighter, chances are you're going to be able to do more reps. And whether or not which one or deciding which one is best for muscle building or strength gain will just depend on how you set that up. And that's just a little bit of an example of one scenario. And today we're going to have, have one or two of those as well, hopefully. And it will save me going off on massive tangents and be able to keep this within a reasonable amount of time. With all that said, I'm going to jump straight into it. So the first one is going to be regarding squats and the difference between back squats and front squats. This question has come up quite recently because I think the programs that I've been using for um, field sport athletes have been very focused in on front squats. Started using front squats more commonly with most athletes for a couple of reasons. One, because at some point during the next few months, I'm going to want them to be able to, or potentially be able to catch the bar in a front squat position for Olympic lifts. So anybody who's seen or follows me on Instagram will know that I do tend to like doing things like cleans for power development. You don't have to do them. And for people who can do them, I will use other variations of them lifts. But for those who are and those who have the potential to be able to do them, I do like to add them in because it allows the athlete itself to expand their movement toolbox. And it's a way of learning a new skill as well. So we've been doing an awful lot of front squats recently and with that comes the question, which is better, front squats or back squats? And it's not, the answer isn't quite which one is better. They both have their differences. They both have their benefits. For me, for athletes, I prefer front squats, partly for the reason that I've just spoke about regarding the Olympic lifts. But for um, when you look at the front squat versus the back squat, in the front squat, you are more upright. So you target more of the quads just because the, the bar is loaded in front and you have to sit a little bit more upright and you have a lot of work to do with the wrist and the, the shoulder joint in terms of flexibility. And you can, for people who can front squat, you can probably sit a little bit deeper into it as well. And there's a little bit more core involvement going on as well because you do have to keep your torso 
upright and if you don't there is a high possibility that you will fold forward and fail the lift on the flip side of that there is a, an awful lot of people who actually won't be able to front squat due to i suppose being overly tall anybody that's over six i would say six one six two that's the kind of cutoff point when you start getting to sign six three six four it's incredibly difficult for someone to be able to front squat who's i suppose structurally built that way if you've got quite long legs and awkward proportions it's going to be difficult for you to front squat and therefore i wouldn't suggest it if you've got very bad um, wrist mobility and shoulder mobility then the front rack position isn't going to be for you and if it's painful then there's going to be no point i suppose forcing you into that position there is alternatives so you could go with the the arms crossed over in front position which is a little bit easier but like i said if you've got issues with shoulder mobility and thoracic spine mobility then you're going to struggle with that one as well and therefore it's probably not a good idea for you to front squat and there is alternatives like a heavy heel elevated goblet squat would be kind of similar and even just the trap bar deadlift in a more upright squatting position would be an alternative as well so there's it's not a case of like you have to front squat because it's better or because i prefer it if you can't front squat i will not make you front squat typically you will also be able to squat heavier with the back squat versus the front squat but when you look at it like the full view of it rarely will you see someone who can back squat heavy be able to front squat heavy whereas typically someone who can front squat quite heavy will also be able to back squat heavy as well and it's just more i think the front squat has a bit more of a skill element to it the the back squat you are much more stable and um, it's a much more comfortable lift if it's set up correctly as well um but from from a coaching point of view the, the first reason i gave it regarding the the progression to olympic lifts that's the main reason why i would add in the front squats in the front rack uh, position as opposed to a back squat that that's not to say I, I won't ever do back squats but for the most part if we're if we're in a i suppose a, a muscle gaining phase which the majority of my clients who are field sport athletes are they are working on the front front rack front squat position as opposed to the back squat so that's the first one keeping in line with the squats we're going to jump straight into the second one the second one is going to be about squat depth now, the question was posed to me very recently, should I, when doing back squats, now this is coming from an athlete, I have a uh, program for back squats, uh, box squats. So um, set up the bench, squat to the bench, touch and go and come back up. And the question was posed to me and he asked, should he squat heavier and go to the bench only and then come back up or should he drop the weight a little bit and go all the way down and squat full depth this is one of those heavy it depends questions and it depends on one how good you are at squatting as an athlete or as a client in general and two what position you are in your season 
and what outcomes and adaptations you're hoping to get from your squats. So for the most part, if you're in the off season and very early preseason, then I would be looking at full range squats, focusing a bit more on the skill element of it. So off season, I would say early off season into mid to late off season, you're looking at full depth um, squats, no bench, learning to squat as deep as you possibly can while maintaining correct posture technique and all that sort of stuff and slowly add on weights it might be two and a half five kilos every week or two um until the point where you actually can't get low enough and i would stay in the rep range of about eight to twelve roughly um just as a ballpark figure as you move then into your late off season early pre-season then i would start to bring the bench in or the box depending on how tall you are set it up just below knee height so that when you're actually touching the box, you're still getting just slightly below parallel. So in this phase, we're still focusing a little bit more on hypertrophy, but we're taking out that bottom portion and you're able to lift a little bit heavier and you can focus a little bit more on the upward um, concentric phase of it where we can bring in a little bit of um, power development. So you'll find that when you're doing your full depth squats on the way up, it's quite slow, whereas with the bench or the box squats you actually able to fire up a little bit quicker but still getting to a depth which has you below parallel and you're still working on hypertrophy so that's the first two progressions of your squats then when you move into kind of your late pre-season towards that um, transition phase before you're going into your maybe your actual preseason games or your, your competitive phase then I would start bringing in kind of half squats and quarter squats so now the focus is no longer on hypertrophy and muscle building and it's more on strength and power in specific um, joint ranges so when you look at a field sport athlete more often than not when they're sprinting or jumping they're only ever getting into joint angles of about 90 degrees at most more often than that it's actually shallower than that because you've got um quick muscle actions going on and, and the reversal stages of each of those counter movements is quite short and how often do you actually see someone getting into a full squat before they jump or if you look at the joint angles when someone's sprinting there's a slight bend in the knee but as their foot strikes the ground they're never I suppose, fully squatted. So they're just the things to, to, to look out for in your own. Um, if you have access to video of yourself sprinting, look at where your foot strikes the ground in a sprint or, or how deep you squat in a counter movement jump and then base your depth of your squats off that. Um, but with that one, so yeah, you're focusing a bit more on power, your not going to full depth because it's more specific to the performance enhancements that you're looking for plus you don't have the high eccentric loading at the deep ranges that you would do if you were doing full depth squats and that eccentric loading will contribute to i suppose greater doms and longer duration doms as well which we won't want in season the next progression from those then would be to add in kind of pin squats. So you literally take out the 
eccentric part of the lift altogether. Set the bar up at your, your joint angles on the safety bars and you just go ahead and you do a, a kind of quarter squat from the pins and then just let the bar crash down onto the safety bars without controlling it down. So you're still getting the power benefits and the strength benefits of a quarter squat in the concentric phase, but you're taking out the eccentric part of the lift and then you're contributing then to removing or doing your best to reduce the amount of DOMS that you're going to have um, and eccentric loading because the eccentric loading will also contribute to a, I suppose, a down regulation of your central nervous system, which will take a little bit longer to recover from in, in the week, which we want to try and minimize fatigue as much as we possibly can. Moving on to number three, we are talking about being flexible in the weight room. And I'm not talking from a, a sense of touching your toes flexible, but more from a um, having a flexible approach to what exercises you use and, and how you do them. So when I'm programming for someone, you program based on principles and based on adaptations that you want, not based on what exercises I want them to do. Because if you start thinking about it that way, you become or you get sucked into like almost this belief that one exercise is better than another and that you can't do any other exercises on specific days. Whereas if you look at it from an adaptation point of view and kind of principles that you need to abide by, you can be a lot more flexible in your approach and you can almost start to auto-regulate your own training based on how you feel on that specific day if something gets moved so for example you might be planning to play a game on a Saturday night and something happens and the game gets brought brought forward to Friday night and now you have to change your training week or your gym sessions to suit that and if you're not flexible it can be quite a stressful situation and more often than not you do want to think two things you'll either continue with the program that you're on or the setup that you have which isn't aligned with having you peak for that specific game on the Friday or you won't go to the gym and then you'll miss out on the potential benefits of having a gym session done in the in the lead up to a game. So an example of that is your lower body exercises. So I might program someone for a front squat again for argument's sake and they might be programmed for cluster sets, five sets of two with um, 85-90% of the one at max and it's on its own. Get into the gym, all the racks are full, um, there's no barbell to be found, it's quite busy, people are, are, are saving the, the squat racks, blah blah blah, but there's a trap bar available. Um, and, and that's where the, the flexibility comes in. So rather than going with the, the front squat, we can go with the trap bar, set it up in position where you use the high handles. So the high handles will be more conducive to you being in a more upright position and it being more quad dominant and a squat pattern. Whereas if you use the low handles, it'll be a little bit more um, hinge and posterior chain dominant. And then rather than getting stressed because you can't do your front squats, you're able to do your trap bar deadlifts 
um, in the same ranges that you were looking for with the front squats, but you could probably load it a little bit heavier and you can still get the same adaptations or the same benefits from that session, but you can just mix and match because it's fairly like by like. And the same goes for like, if you're down for a, a barbell bench press, there's no bench press available, but you can do dumbbells. If you're down for um, chest supported rows, but there's no bench available, you can do single arm dumbbell rows up against the rack. And it's just with just being able to be flexible with your approach to um, simple things like that will help you an awful lot in the long run as well. Like another example, um, a client came in to me the other day and he said, I was down for hip thrusts. There was no bench um, available. There was no barbells available because the gym was quite busy. But instead of doing hip thrusts, did dumbbell RDLs. Now, that's not quite the same like for like, but it's still a hinge pattern. It's still loading the posterior chain, albeit the, the hip thrusts will load it concentrically and focus on the glutes, whereas the dumbbell RDL will load it eccentrically and it'll focus a little bit more hamstrings, but it's better than not having done any exercise and it's a fairly close um, substitution for it. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to be, we won't fall out about not having done your, your hip thrust on, on, on a given week. Another example of being flexible is, example, if you're on a hypertrophy program and the key driver of hypertrophy is going to be volume and intensity to a certain degree, um, mostly your proximity to failure as opposed to what weight you actually lift. That's for another day. But with that said, say, for example, your, your session's taking you a little bit longer than expected. You're, you're, you're three quarters of or 80% of the way through and you're not able to finish it in time, but you've still got a small bit of the session left. You might have a superset or a triset of biceps and triceps to do, or you've got a, a core finisher to do. Don't have time to finish it. What do you do? The best way to approach that is, okay, can't get done in that session, so just you do one of two things. You move it to the end of another session and you just make up the volume on another day where you've got more time or you split the volume of that session or that block that you missed between maybe two other sessions. So now you're, you're doing 50% less volume of that specific block, but you get it done over the full week. So you're not really missing out on anything over the week, but you are just missing, I suppose, um, the the in-session um, pump in quotation marks that you might have had while doing it at the end of that specific session. Now, there's going to be some um, scenarios where there's something at the end of a session, specifically at the end of a session, because it follows everything else, and it won't quite work as well as you'd like it to do um, if you put it somewhere else. But that's for you and your coach to discuss. But for the most part, if you're in a hypertrophy program, you can um, just kind of move it and like move it somewhere else in the week. But as long as you get it done in that specific week, that's going to be good enough.
and it's just about being flexible. You can do the same with um, like strength programs. Like for example, I had a session to do, it was last week and wasn't really feeling it. Um, just having one of those days where the gym just wasn't at the forefront of my mind and I didn't have, wasn't buzzing to go in. And I think I had to do deadlifts and I had to do bench press as my two main lifts. And I had a bunch of other like stuff to do somewhere else. And I just went in, did my deadlifts, did my bench press. I wasn't feeling the rest of it, so I just left it out. And I just moved it to another day. So on a day where it might have been a rest day or it might have been a, a shorter session, I just take what I missed on that specific day and I'll just do it somewhere else. So I'm still getting it done in the week. Um, but just on another day where you feel a little bit better and then the flexibility comes in with full sessions as well. You might be scheduled for a session on a Monday and uh, might not be feeling it and you might just do it on a Tuesday instead. That works for the majority of people, unless you're, I suppose, at the elite level of, of gym work and your weeks are scheduled to a T. So when you get to in season, especially your, well, at least my clients programs will be scheduled based on their proximity to game days or training days. So I'll know, say, for example, our, our Tuesday sessions are going to be our tough ones. So I won't have a hard gym session either side of that or the, the day after or the day before um, that hard session on the Tuesday maybe might have an upper body session scheduled in for the day after but I wouldn't be scheduling in any heavy leg work or, or power work that then is scheduling kind of the Thursday or the Friday depending on when the matches is the weekend but the important note for that specific question is that you need to maintain some sort of flexibility within your programming or what will happen is you'll just get frustrated you'll miss a session or you'll not be able to finish a full session and that frustration will snowball across the rest of the program and, and you just all of a sudden now you've missed four or five six sessions as opposed to just one or just kind of 50 percent of one and you move it to somewhere else and we, you just have to set your program up so you've got that flexibility within it and you can maintain consistency over the long haul with your programming. On to question number four. And I presume everybody's going to have this question at some point, And that is, can you gain muscle while in a calorie deficit? And the short answer is yes. The, the long answer is it requires a lot more adherence to certain principles. So for you to lose or for you to gain muscle in a deficit, the first thing you need to make sure that is on point is your protein intake. So your protein intake across the entire day has to be there or thereabouts bang on. And I'm talking, say, if you're kind of, or what would I word? If you're prescribed two grams per kilo of body weight of protein so for an 80 kilo person that's 160 you have a smaller buffer of maybe plus or minus 10 grams whereas someone who's just trying to if someone who's in a surplus or in a deficit trying to lose fat 
your buffer might be slightly higher so it's not as much of a big deal if you don't hit it that's the first thing the second thing is your your timing of your meals has to be a little bit more conducive to stimulating protein synthesis so we talked about this before where when you want to stimulate protein synthesis you have to have a adequate protein serving but it has to be sectioned out across the day every four hours and that's the rough it comes from the fact that you can stimulate protein synthesis it then has this refractory period where there's a massive spike and it comes down and as it comes down it can't be stimulated again properly until it passes a certain point and then you can go again and that refractory period usually lasts about three to four hours which is where the whole you have to eat every three to four hours in bodybuilding comes from and that's just something to think about with if you're trying to lose or gain muscle in a deficit that's they're the two things that you need to try and make sure that you're trying to adhere to as much as possible during that time if you're relatively new to the gym you can do it without being overly strict on it because your body will react relatively well to an increase in protein intake and training and those two things combined will make it easier for you to gain muscle while still being in a calorie deficit and along with that is a thing called um, nutrient partitioning so when you are training and eating 80% well your muscles will just be more sensitive to that fuel that's coming in so you'll get better suppose glycogen storage in the muscle which is going to make it look a little bit more full in quotation marks um, as long as you're not in a um, heavy deficit but at the same time if any of you follow um, Martin McDonald or um, Mac Nutrition on Instagram you will see that it is possible to maintain strength or gain muscle in a heavy heavy deficit of about a thousand calories a day so I don't want to get into that on this one but what I will do is I will um, share that specific podcast on my Instagram soon um, but yeah the, the main thing for that question is that if you are hell-bent on trying to gain muscle and being a deficit at the same time sort of like a body recomp the the easiest way for you to do it if, it, if you're new is just to get involved in a, a regular training plan don't have a deficit that's too large and too unsustainable for you at your specific stage in your dieting if you want to call it that and try and make sure that you're hitting your daily protein intake and also try and make sure you're eating every three to five hours to sustain that um protein synthesis spike um which will just be a little bit more um or will help a lot more in getting towards where you want to be as i said before if you're a newbie and you're starting out you will see these types of gains and losses at the same time and you don't need to worry about it too much but hopefully that covers that one moving into our final question then question number five not so much a question more so a um a statement 
that I strongly believe in and I don't think enough people learn or are exposed to. And that is underestimating the value of submaximal strength work. And I'm saying this in relation to your big lifts like your squats, your bench press, your shoulder press, um, your deadlifts, RDLs, hip thrusts, things like that. We seem to just go one of two ways with it. You either are constantly trying to push the weight higher and higher and higher in every single session in terms of your progression, or you'll pick a ridiculously or overly light weight and you'll go jump hell for leather on on heavy on high reps all the time and what my suggestion is for you to do is spend a little bit more time on or in that range of like 75 77% up to about 85% and do all of your reps in that strength range. So you might say, for example, start with 10 reps at 75%. And for someone who's training for let's say in and around six months who has a decent exposure to things like a squat, you should be able to squat 75% of your one rep max for 10 reps. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but you will be able to do it. And then what you can do then is you add on, you can go 75, 80, 85, 85. And that's your monthly progression if you're doing it uh, one session a week. That's not ideal, but for, for argument's sake. And what you can do then is you go 75% for 10, and then you go 80% for 5 to 8, and then you're doing 85% for 3, and then you're going to go 85% for 5. And through that, you're never really getting close to that 90, 95% plus range, which is heavily taxing on the body and on the central nervous system from a recovery point of view. You're not going to burn yourself out too much. I'm not saying it's not going to be heavy or it's not going to be taxing or it's not going to be difficult and you won't need to recover from it. But it's in that perfect range where you know you can do it. You just have to try and push yourself a little bit more but it's not going to take you, it's not going to fry your central nervous system, which can be quite prevalent in people who just constantly are working at their limits all the time. And they're doing, they're going into the gym and they're trying to work up to a heavy single all the time. And after two or three weeks, they're, they're wondering why they're, they're stalling on their progress. And, it's because they've never really given themselves a period of time where they've focused on that 75 to 85% range. And it's something that my general population clients, it's, it's the way I program them quite often. So we'll start at 70, 75% and we'll be doing sets of like 12 to 15 for the first week. And then the following week, we'll add on 5% and we'll drop the rep range down to like 8 to 12. Next week, it'll be kind of 5 to 8 in that 80% range, maybe 85, depending on how they're getting on. And then the last week, then we'll hit 3 to 5, 85%. And we might spend a week or two there. 
and then we might restart that whole process and we'll add on two and a half kilos. And that's the way you'll slowly bump up the strength gains. You'll slowly bump up the um, the proximity to failure, which will drive um, muscle gain. And you never really get to a point where you're overly fatiguing yourself as well, which is one of the things you want to try and program people where they're constantly progressing but slower but they can progress for longer because the last thing you want to do is you know, hammer them for the first kind of four to six weeks see major gains most reps are taken very very close to failure and all of a sudden they hit a wall four weeks in you're like okay where do I go from here and then you have to change things drastically whereas if you slowly gently creep up and your progression is done cleverly you can actually progress for much longer over a longer period of time and that's something that I think my clients are now starting to buy into that they're not leaving their sessions flogged they're not leaving extremely tired they're probably leaving feeling like they don't they haven't done an awful lot of work but what they have done is they've moved the needle forward ever so slightly and then when they come in again, they'll do that again and again and again. And they'll never feel like they've, they'll feel like they've worked hard, but they've never felt like they're close to their limit. And then once you get to a point where you feel comfortable with that specific person on pushing them a little bit more, maybe into that 90 to 95% range or taking your 85% of your 1RM and pushing a few more reps to failure, then go and do it. And then what you do then is you start the whole process up again, but now your one at max is much, much higher than it was. And the pro the process starts again. But that's what I'm saying. That the, the, you can't underestimate the the importance of submaximal work um, for strength training and hypertrophy, but also from a condition point of view, which is why the tempo runs come in handy so much. Um, like, Tempos are done really like sub-maximally. They're done at like 70% of your uh, maximal speed. But because you can ramp up the volume of them over a long period of time without it ever feeling like it's difficult, you're still getting major benefits from them. And in the long run, your progression is going to be so much better without getting all of the, I suppose, the unnecessary baggage from pushing to higher intensities and that's the thing the 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 benefits of pushing to 85 90 percent there are obviously huge but they do have a lot of downsides to that as well which we need to be conscious of and you need to weigh up is it worth the risk of pushing to that range constantly or are you better working submaximally for longer without the build-up of all these downsides that you have to try and mitigate, especially if you're working with someone who is in a stressful job or who doesn't deal very well with stress. All you're doing is compounding that and their recovery then becomes compromised and you have to start chasing that then as well. Whereas if you keep, if you dose them enough, but not too much, you can start to see progression in over a longer period of time. 
And there you have it. That's the five today. Um, so like the last one wasn't really a question, but it's a small little nugget of advice. Um, kept them all fairly similar to each other today. We'll get back on the wagon of getting them done more regularly now that we're coming up to Christmas and I can just spend time at home recording a lot of them and have them ready for the new year. So if you have any specific questions you've got over the next few weeks, get them to me. Either drop me an email, drop me a message on Instagram, drop me a Twitter message, tweet, Twitter message. Just get them in whatever you can and I will get to them. So thank you very much for listening and I will chat to you guys very, very soon.